What's your mom? A working mom. And what did she write? The working the mom. The working mom blueprint. blueprint. And what should they do? Go buy, buy it today. The Working Mom Blueprint is now available wherever books are sold. Go grab it for yourself, for a friend, for a sister, for a colleague, so we can help working moms, all moms, to thrive, not just survive on their motherhood journey. Mm Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. everyone. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I am thrilled today to be joining someone who hasn't even known me until today, but who I consider actually a mentor in terms of my own personal development and someone who um, whose work I look to a lot. So I think she or her stuff is going to be incredibly helpful for all of us. Kristen Neff, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, sure. Happy to be here. So Kristen's entire body of work is about self-compassion and mindful self-compassion. And who needs more assistance with mindful self-compassion than mothers and specifically working moms who are trying to juggle and do a lot and sometimes can be really hard on ourselves. Kristen, I would love for you to tell our audience, our listeners, about your story of mindful self-compassion, how you came to be so interested in it, what kind of drives your passion for sharing this with other folks out there. Right. So for me, it's a personal journey. Um, I didn't invent the idea of self-compassion. I actually learned about it in a Buddhist meditation group over 25 years ago. Um, The story was I was finishing up my PhD at at, um, University of California at Berkeley, and I was under a lot of stress. It was a really difficult time for me. A lot was going on in my personal life. And so I learned mindfulness meditation in hopes that it would help with my stress. And fortunately for me, the woman leading the group talked about the importance of having compassion for yourself just as much as others. Uh, And it never really even dawned on me before, like, what? You could be actively kind and supportive to yourself? That seems kind of (laughs) weird. And it did (laughs) seem a little weird, but I I, I tried it out. I kept giving it a try. And I was just so amazed by the immediate difference it made in my ability to not only deal with my stress, but just a lot of the issues I was going through, some feelings of doubt and inadequacy. When I started really being a good friend to myself, everything changed. And so then I I got a job at um, University of Texas, where I am now and started researching it. And the research is really just phenomenal in terms of the difference it makes in well-being. If you're just able to be kind and supportive to yourself the same way you are to a friend when they struggle, it's really quite amazing. And why is it so hard 
for all of us to do that at baseline. Because when you think about the idea of, yeah, be kind to yourself, be a kind friend to yourself on the surface, that seems like such a no brainer, but then at our core, that's so difficult to do. So why is it so hard for us? Uh, well, there's a few different reasons. One is cultural. Our cultures that teach us it's a good thing. They say, oh, if you do this, you'll be lazy, you'll be self-indulgent, you'll be narcissistic, all these messages. And of course, the research shows that's totally false. You'll be more motivated. You'll be less self-focused. You'll take more responsibility. You'll take better care of yourself. Um, but so that's one reason cultural messages are myths, which are actually wrong. Uh, there's also a physiological reason, though, which is that normally when we fail or make a mistake or, you know, something's difficult in our life, we feel threatened. And as biological organisms, when we feel threatened, we go into fight, flight or freeze mode to try to get safe. So what we do is like we fight ourselves, we beat ourselves up somehow thinking this will whoop us into shape so we won't make mistakes or fail and we'll be safe. Or we flee in shame, kind of the perceived judgments of others. We hang our head in shame. It's kind of a safety behavior. I'm going to isolate myself so I'll be safe. Or else we freeze and get stuck in rumination over and over again. I can't believe I did that over and over. And it's also a safety behavior. Now, when your good friend fails or has something difficult, you know, you don't feel personally threatened. So your threat defense system doesn't kick in. Instead, another system which we have is our care system. So as mammals, we evolved another way to fail safe, to feel safe when we feel bonded with others, which is um, kind of the tend and befriend response. So it more naturally comes on with others, those we care about, but we can use it with ourselves. It's not as natural, so it does feel a little weird to treat yourself like a friend. But once you give yourself permission to do so, and it, it does get more habitual over time, then actually we can help ourselves feel safe by A, feeling connected to others. We know we aren't alone. We certainly aren't the only ones who are imperfect or who struggle. I'm being kind to ourselves, which might even mean like physical gestures, just like a parent with their baby or, or with a friend, you might put your hand on the shoulder. We can use physical touch to help us feel safe. Um, and just really uh, knowing that this is normal, it's part of the human experience without judging ourselves. So again, it, it's possible, it's just not, it's not so instinctual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. And in fact, I'll say for myself, I don't know if this is true for you, but it's actually quite instinctual for me to do the opposite. Even if I yeah. know better, even if I write about it, even if I interview people to no end about it. This morning, I was dropping my kids off at camp on the way to my work. And I was stressed because we had a tight timeline. And my youngest daughter was, she just bought all these Disney princess little figurines that she can change all their outfits. And she kept on dropping the shoes in the car and getting really <laughs> upset with herself. And so I found myself as we're driving along and like, she's not brushing her hair, putting her shoes on kind of like she needs to be doing so that way I can get her out of the car and then get to work. Having to condition myself to be patient with her and to be kind with herself. And right. even as I dropped her off, I felt judgmental of myself that I hadn't done as good a job as I could have being patient and kind with her as I was trying to scoot her out the door. And no right. joke, in my head, I'm like, gosh, you're such a jerk. You're a bad mom. And I had to stop and like laugh and say, that's hilarious. Today I am interviewing like the <laughs> queen of my full compassion. And also, of course, I was a little bit frustrated as this kiddo wasn't listening fully and as we got out the door a little bit more. So um, right. it, for me, I found that it's a lot about, this work is a lot about 
catching myself kind of in the act and even yeah. being kind to myself as I'm being mean to myself, if that makes sense. Yes, right. And, and also understanding that the reason we do it is because you want to be a good mom. You want a good relationship with your child. So that fear was coming up. So that's the reason you're criticizing yourself. It's just that it's not very effective. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and also some of my later work, which kind of is relevant in terms of with our kids, is compassion for our kids or ourselves. Is it just kindness in the sense of like being sweet and accepting? Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes, so that's like there's that's the, the image of mother, but it's also sometimes mama bear. So I like to call mm-hmm. this fierce and tender self-compassion. So there's the tender, sweet, nurturing, accepting side, which is really key. But there's also the mama bear side, which is drawing boundaries and And there is a boundary. She does have to put her stuff on so she can get to school. You do need to get to work. It is important, Mm -hmm. right? So it's finding that balance, which can be challenging as well, Um, especially because women, we're told we're only supposed to be like the sweet nurturing type of mother. (laughs) Right. You know, and sometimes we can be mama bear like to protect our kids, but in terms of like drawing boundaries, or saying, you know, no, I'm sorry, I would love to help you, but I'm busy. Things mm-hmm. like that, which we need to do to care for ourselves. It can be a little uncomfortable because women aren't allowed to be fierce. We're only allowed to be tender. So that's another dynamic that's coming into play here. Um, and we really need to be aware of all of it and say, um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to follow your rules. I'm going to do what's healthy for me, which is to be fierce and tender, both with myself and others, all of it. All yeah. of it's good for well-being. Yeah, I love that. I feel like um, in Dr. Shafali's book, The Conscious Parent, that she talks a lot about that too. Of It's not bad at all if you have to set a firm limit with someone or if you have to exactly. set boundaries with your child. Yes. It's more about like, where is it coming from? Or are you being able to be aware enough of why am I doing this? Is it because I have like ego on my shoulder saying... I'm worried I'm going to look like a bad mom or is it because no, you need to learn that when I say that you need to put your shoes on, you need to do it the first time or else I'm going to come help you do it. So that way we can move along and in our day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would love you to talk about the specific steps of mindful self-compassion, just like tactically, what does that look like for people? So that people can break it down, moms can break it down and not have it be this woo-woo thing or, you know, out there thing, but really, really practical yeah. for them. Well, it's really simple. So I, so I define self-compassion as having three core components. And actually one is mindfulness. So you, so you refer in it to mindful self-compassion. Well, that's because mindfulness is baked into self-compassion. Mm-hmm. So mindfulness is the ability to be aware of what's happening as it's happening and to kind of not like try to sweep it under the rug or else to fight against it so much that you lose all perspective. It's, it's a type of awareness. Well, we have to be aware that we're struggling in order to give ourselves compassion, right? Mm-hmm. So if we just like stiff upper lip, don't complain, you know, it's carry on, mm-hmm. then we, we actually can't pause to say, well, what do I need right now to be well, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to take that pause and be aware. At the same time, you know, some people, they like get lost and like, oh, my life is horrible. And like, they kind of dive into it to the point where there's no perspective. And Mm -hmm. that's not helpful either. So we need the mindfulness to say, okay, this is what's happening. I'm feeling like a bad mother, or I'm feeling overwhelmed, or I'm feeling stressed, or I'm feeling ashamed, or whatever it is you're feeling, just to be aware of it, to acknowledge it, right? That's the first step. Um, And then again, so once we acknowledge it, then we do have to ask ourselves, what is it that I need to be well and happy and to care for myself? And that's the kindness. Mm 
And again, that kindness could be fierce or tender. It might be what we need is acceptance and just love and nurturing and some softness, gentleness. Maybe we need to take a break. But sometimes what we need is a little kick in the butt, like some encouragement, like, hey, you can do it. Or, you know, you, you need to you actually a change would be very helpful here, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but really asking, answering that question, what do I need to be well? And then the third piece, which is so important, which is what makes it self-compassion and not self-pity, is a sense of connection to others, right? Compassion is inherently a connected stance. The reason you like it when I have compassion for you, but don't like it when I pity you, is pity is like, I feel separate, I feel superior to you. Compassion is like, hey, I've been there. So with self-compassion, oh yeah, everyone's been there. (laughs) This is normal. There's nothing wrong with me for making a mistake or failing. There's nothing wrong with me for struggling. This is actually part of life, the plan we all signed up for. So these three ingredients is almost like baking a loaf of bread. You know, you can just bring in mindfulness. Okay, this is very difficult right now. Just acknowledging that I'm feeling bad there. I'm feeling worried. Um, Two, common humanity. This is part of life. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not alone. Other people go through this. And then third, you know, what are some words of kindness and support and encouragement that I can give myself right now? Words or maybe a gesture like putting your hand on your heart, some sort of physical gesture of support to really help myself in the moment. And if you if you bring in these three elements at any time, it actually engenders a self-compassionate frame of mind and changes things radically for the better. You know how, like in high school, you could join different clubs depending on your interests or things people were into? I wasn't really that much of a club person when I was younger, but these days it feels like having a tribe of other working moms around me is so, so valuable. And it's hard to do in real life because we're all scattered and busy and have our separate lives. We have designed the Modern Mamas Club to be that club, that tribe, that support network for you. And we didn't want it just to be about what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome professional or what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome mom, but also what are the ways we can help you to remember who you are as an individual person? Voila, welcome. The Modern Mamas Club is on the scene. It's a community of mamas to support you, 24 access to our video library, live events, workshops, hangouts, relatable mom rooms and discussions, and a resource library and recommendations from yours truly, Dr. Whitney. Go check it out at modernmommydoc.com. It's so good and hard to practice, but I think so, so good. And I love um, that idea of the common humanity piece. I feel like something that I remember someone saying to me at one point is, you know, I I feel like I'm a privileged person. I had parents who were well-educated. I, you know, live in a normal home with my kids, you know, all of that. And so sometimes I know, and this is true for other moms too, who are working moms, it's like, they feel like they don't have the right to feel the way that they feel or like someone else's situation is so much worse than theirs. How could they ever have compassion for themselves? Like, gosh, they're just like being ungrateful. And this idea of like, your situation might not be the same as someone else's. It's not better or worse. It just is. And everybody deals with different types of stresses and traumas. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, there are there is better and worse, right? So, right. I mean, someone in the first world is going to be better sure. off. Sure. <laughs> no, it's important because some people get confused about common humanity. They, they think it means that there isn't a difference in amount of suffering. There mm-hmm. is. The mm-hmm. amount of suffering is different. The type of suffering is different. But the thing is that the idea is every human being is worthy of a compassionate response, whether that mm-hmm. suffering is big or little. Right. And so, you know, it may help to have perspective like, wow, I've got hot water that may put it in perspective, but you don't want to use that as a way of belittling your pain. Because if you do that, if you belittle it and say, well, I've no right to feel badly about my, you know, upsetting thing at work that happened, at least I have a job. Well, then what happens is you aren't really acknowledging or validating the suffering. You aren't going to be able to tend to it or heal it. And eventually it'll be someone else's problem. (laughs) all pain is worthy of being acknowledged and being validated remembering this is normal um, and worthy of some sort of response to help ourselves because really we are in the best position to give ourselves what we need it's great when other people can but they aren't always available right or maybe they aren't inclined or they've got their own fires to put out Mm-hmm. We aren't the only ones, but we're the ones who are in the best position to say, what do I need? How can I give it to myself? And when we do that, we, then we have more resources to give and care for others. Yeah. You know, so yeah. again, if you say, I'm not going to complain because I've got it good. But then meanwhile, you're like irritable and angry inside and you take it out on others and you get depleted. Well, it's still not helpful. Yeah. Well, I always think about the fact too, it's like for kids, like um, if we don't emotion coach them and they learn to just like stuff it down then it exactly. comes out somewhere, you know, it has to That's come right. out somewhere. That's yeah. right. And, and we know from the research that uh, one way we learn self-compassion is through modeling. So if parents can model self-compassion in front of their children, their kids get the message that, oh, you know, this is a good way to be with yourself. If you model self-criticism, oh, such an idiot, I can't believe I broke that glass. And that's what you're modeling for your child is the best way to deal with failure or mistakes. Mm-hmm. So when you're self-compassionate, not only this, there's so many ways it's good for kids. A, it'll help be a way of coping with the stress of being a parent. So you have more resources to be the best parent you can be. Mm-hmm. And B, if you outwardly model it, children can um, consciously kind of see what you're doing and get the message. This is the way to be. But there's also another way it works, which is through our mirror neurons. Right. So as human beings, we're very um, attuned to each other's emotional state. So even if out loud, you don't say things like, I'm so stupid, right? Mm -hmm. If your internal state is one of frustration or anger or depression or whatever it is, your child's going to tune into that through their mirror neurons. You know, especially Mm -hmm. parents and children are very attuned to each other. Whereas if your internal mental state is one of like fulfillment and peace and kind of acceptance, then your child's going to tune into that. I know my son, Rowan who's autistic, um, but he's very empathic, especially towards me. I would help him regulate his emotions by regulating my own emotions. Mm-hmm. Right? So when he had like a big tantrum and, you know, if I, if I just allow myself to get frustrated or if I blame myself, you know, why can't I control this? Or I'm so inadequate. His tantrum would just ramp up mm-hmm. but when I could give myself compassion for the fact that it's so hard that he's having an intention. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Be kind to myself. I'd put my hand on my heart and say, like, I'm here for you, Kristen. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I would calm down. And that would actually help him calm down as well. So, you know, we're actually always interconnected with our kids and our loved ones and anyone we're interacting with, but especially our children. So what we cultivate inside also helps our relationships on the outside. 
that is such pure gold. And I have lived that myself and my own daughter who has a lot of sensory um, issues also is probably the best lie detector as well, right? She can tell, even if I say I'm fine, but I'm like brewing inside, she knows it. She can tell there's no hiding, right? And so I think um, when I think about blessings or silver linings of that, it's like, well, you know, it challenges me then to be like, okay, I got to keep working this muscle, working this self-compassion muscle for myself so I can be the best parent I can be. And then also for her so that then I can continue trying as best I can, you know, within reason to mirror that back to her so she can learn it too. That's right. And the good news is it doesn't mean you got to get it all together Mm -hmm. or you can't be upset. Um, Really, what we like to say is the goal of practice is simply to be a compassionate mess. (laughs) <laughs> right. So in other words, you can still be a mess. You can still get irritable. You can still be losing it. You can still be stressed. But if you hold that mess with compassion, then that actually becomes your dominant state of mind. It's the compassion that's actually holding the pain of the mess. And the compassion is what you, you carry with you throughout the day and all your interactions. And it's the compassion that gives you strength and encouragement and support. And, you know, you can't not be a mess. But you can be a compassionate mess. It is actually possible. (laughs) So tell me, because we talked about the things that make it difficult to do this, but I'd love to hear from you. What are the practices or routines that you've seen people put into place to leave more room for this way of living, really? What are things people have done to make it so they have more bandwidth for this? So the last 10 years, I've really been devoted to figuring out ways to teach people self-compassion. Like my research, we know that it works. We know that it helps. I don't need to prove that anymore, at least to myself. Um, It's really what's really more important. Well, how do we do it? And so we've developed something called the Mindful Self-Compassion Program. And um, it's in workbook format, or you can take it online if you you Google it. Um, So we've got about like 37 different concrete practices and meditations that people can do. So there's a whole host of techniques, you might say, that have been developed to help people. So it's not, you know, you don't have to figure it all out yourself. Um, But if you want just to know some simple things people can do, uh, one, as I mentioned before, physical touch is actually incredibly helpful because um, touch is the primary way that parents communicate care to their children before their children learn how to speak. Touch and also tone of voice. So we're very sensitive to touch and tone of voice as signals of care. So doing something like, again, putting your hand on your heart, cradling your face, you know, holding your own hand, some sort of physical gesture, your subconscious doesn't really know the difference between yourself and other people. You know, they just know, oh, someone's touching me in a kind way. So touch is a really good way to help help yourself feel supported and cared for. Um, like I said, tone of voice, um, trying to, you know, use a warm tone of voice with yourself as opposed to a harsh tone. Uh, and then also, very, you know, luckily we already know how to be compassionate and supportive to others. We just don't aren't the habit with ourselves, but we know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So you can do something very simple, like imagine that your really dear friend was in the exact same situation you were in and think, well, gosh, what would I say to my friend, you know, in this situation, especially if I if she wanted me to be really honest with her, what would I say to help? And then you can say that same thing to yourself. So those are very simple things you can do. Um, or like I said, you can do the three ingredients, bring in the mindfulness, acknowledge and validate the pain. Remember that you aren't alone with common humanity 
and uh, say some words of kindness and support. Mm-hmm. So those I love are very that. Yeah. yeah, those are those are very you can do that anywhere. You know, it's I not rocket science. <laughs> it's not like you don't have to like get us into a state of samadhi through meditation. This is real simple stuff. You know, the other thing that I've found, and I wrote an article about this for psychology today, is about moms in particular. You know, I think we're really good at staying busy. We're really good at being productive all day long. We're really good at kind of not allowing our minds to like go there, to go deeper, right? We might have time to get critical of ourselves, but sometimes it can be hard to make space to just be quiet and to be still. So one Uh other really practical thing that I've suggested to moms is just having like even five minutes of time in the shower in the morning before you get going or of journaling at a table or in the car before you go back into your house Right. to do some of these practices. Yeah, yeah, just a few moments of a few moments of pause throughout the day. It's also like when you're falling asleep at night, when you first wake up in the morning, again the shower is good. But really the best time to practice self-compassion is not okay, for these 5 minutes I'm going to do mm-hmm. it. It's actually when you're suffering. Mm-hmm. That's the time to do it and that's the time it's going to be the most helpful. Mm-hmm. So luckily, life gives us a lot of opportunities to practice throughout the day, you know. So when you get that call, you realize you're late. Take that moment to put your hand on your heart and say, whoa, this is tough. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Okay, you know, I'm here for myself. Something like that. You know, as it's Mm -hmm. happening in the middle of your day, you don't even, although it's nice to take that pause. Mm -hmm. Really, if you use the moment of suffering as your time to practice, then not only will you practice a lot, but it'll actually help you deal with whatever things as they come at things as they come up throughout the day. And that's really the most effective way to practice. Mm-hmm. Now you offer entire like retreats, days yeah. you can go on. Like, tell me what does that look like? What do you guys do during those huge days? Yeah, yeah. Well, so like I say, we've developed something called the Mindful Self-Compassion Program. And it's actually um, an eight-week, two-and-a-half-hour program with a half-day meditation retreat. So you can take it online and it's spread mm-hmm. it out over 10 weeks. You, and they can find out all these training opportunities at the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. So you can take it online. Um, we used to teach it in intensive format. That's been put on hold because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But what we do is we like push the whole program into a five-day intensive We'd actually mm-hmm. go somewhere and practice for five days. So you do like session one in the morning and session two in the afternoon. Um, we also have shorter versions of the program available for people who don't have the time or don't want to commit yet to the whole thing. So there's a lot of training opportunities. Um, like I say, you can also buy the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook and go through it yourself. So there's a lot of research on this. It's been well-developed. Um, yeah, like I say, it's not rocket science. It's, it's really about giving yourself permission to be kinder, more supportive to yourself. And then once you figure it out, and especially when you have a little help with these practices, it's not that difficult. That's the amazing thing. It's not, it's not that difficult. It's really just a matter of intention. You know, it's like, have you had enough of beating yourself up? How's that been working out for you? Well, if it hasn't been working out so well, then this is another thing you can try and see if it makes a positive difference, which it almost always does. Yeah. 100%. I mean, just to give a plug for this for listeners, I mean, this has been the most powerful, life changing practice for me. It's been, you know, 
I went to yoga for years and did, and that's nothing wrong with that. I've exercised, I've eaten better, I've made sure I get enough sleep. Those things are all great. But the reality is in my life with a kid who has been very difficult with a very stressful job that is high intensity and I get lots of positive feedback and sometimes some negative feedback throughout the day, right? Just from patients when things don't go exactly the way that they're hoping that they would. Um, This has been the thing that has made the biggest difference for me um, in terms of not taking away the storms, but being able to weather the storms that come my way with more grace. Yes, exactly. And that's what it is. So it's it's mindfulness. A lot of people have talk, talked about being with, accepting what's happening. But what's really key is the warmth, the intentionally bringing in the warmth. Just as with your child, we know the difference it makes when we say, oh, sweetheart, or you don't give me a hug. Or you know, when your mm-hmm. child knows you love them, the huge difference it makes in their sense of safety and security. It's the same thing with ourselves. If we give ourselves some warmth, some care, it's kind of like we're parenting ourselves. And mm-hmm. a lot of us didn't have parents who are able to be with us or who, who are, you know, warm and supportive. And even if we did, you know, life still often makes us think that, okay, the way to get ahead is to be cold and harsh and use the whip. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. It backfires. So again, and it doesn't mean being complacent, right? Sometimes, you know, people who are self-compassionate, they have you know, the same high goals, the same high standards, they can say, hey, this isn't good enough. I want to do better. But you don't do better because you're inadequate. You want to do better because you care about yourself and you want to do your best, just like we are with our kids. Mm -hmm. And so being a good parent to ourselves is actually the best way to be a good parent to our kids. Absolutely. I think about too, how much better I am at decision-making after I've had mindful self-compassion. I don't know what the research is like there, but I think just that moment of pause to cognitively reverse what's happening or to cognitively think through or get in touch with my feelings and then be able to make a decision about what I need or what's the next best step. Right. Yeah. Because often what happens is it's it's called emotion regulation in psychology, (laughs) but basically what happens is you get stressed or there's failure feedback or something difficult. What happens is we get overwhelmed by our emotions and it leads to poor decision-making. And so self-compassion is really in, and I don't, I don't like to reduce it to this, but in many ways Mm -hmm. it is a form of emotion regulation. I've got a negative emotion, something difficult, I hold it in mindfulness. I remember that I'm not alone and I'm kind to myself because it's difficult. And once we do that, it immediately puts us in a better frame of mind to make good, healthy decisions. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think one of the biggest things, of course, to me by myself, as I'm driving down the road to work after I drop my kids off, it helps in that situation. The other situation I've found it really helpful. So for moms who feel like they're constantly like flipping out at their kids or losing it with their kids. It's Uh not going to make it so you never do that. I mean, because we're all humans, that happens. And like you said, it's okay to be a mess. But I have found that the response that they give to my kids is so much less reactive, so much more responsive. And it's actually what they need in that moment. Like you said, either more tender in that moment, because that's what they need, or more firm in that moment, but so much more assured of whatever yeah. the decision is that I make. That's right. That's right. So it, it really does help. And, and yeah, and, and so losing it with your kids, that that is normal. But but again, often the reason we lose it is because we have this frustration that we haven't tended to. Mm-hmm. So when you're feeling frustrated, this part of us like wants the frustration to go away by our kids 
being perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, good luck with that one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so, you know, but the frustration is still there. So when we say to ourselves, wow, this this is really hard. Oh, man, what what do I need right now? Maybe I just, you know, maybe there's nothing I can do about it. But just that sense, oh, I'm so sorry, that hurts. I'm here for you. That sense of being listened to, that sense of validation, that sense of um, kindness and warmth. You know that 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 love in the face of the frustration, mm-hmm. then it means that we aren't so overwhelmed by the frustration, and we have a much better shot at not snapping at our kids. And yeah. when we do, what I found is um, so reactive anger is kind of the way I'm wired, and I, I come by it honestly. My mother's like, <laughs> I see. Okay, I know where I get that from. She's exactly yeah. the same. And so even after 30 years of practice, it still comes up. I haven't gotten rid of it in any way, but sometimes I catch it beforehand. But what I am really good at now is if it does happen, I immediately am able to say, I'm so sorry, I was out of line. So in other words, instead of clinging to it, like justifying it, well, you deserved it. It's like I catch myself almost immediately and I hold it with compassion and I give myself compassion and I give the other person compassion. And so it's not so um, destructive. And sometimes I do catch it ahead of time, not as often as I would ideally like, but you know, (laughs) the (laughs) compassion makes all the difference. I can tell you if I didn't have that, um, it'd be so much worse. Yeah. Yeah. And we know with kids, of course, there's what happens in the moment, but then there's also that, what you're talking about, those reparations, that also is so, that repair is so important. So the sooner we can get to that, great. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways, you know, when when children can trust that repair will happen, that's also a very good thing because people in their life are going to, you know, (laughs) things aren't always going to go perfectly. So understanding how to, again, the compassionate mess, it's okay, things happen, but can we hold it with love and compassion? That's really the, the most important lesson. I love it. Kristen, this is going to help so many lives. You guys go run, buy her books, sign up for her programs, do all the things because it's so life-changing. Dr. Neff, will you tell us where we can find you? Give us the websites. Where can we find you on the web? All that good stuff. Yes. The easiest place to find me is my website. If you just Google self-compassion, I got in early. So all algorithms lead to my website. So you'll find it, selfcompassion.org. You can take a self-compassion test to see how high or low you are in self-compassion. I've guided practices. I've got a page on fierce compassion to explain that. Um, I have exercises. If you're a research nerd, I have a lot of original research on that website. Um, And there's also a link to the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion where you can take training. And we have lots of online training available. So it's it's only a click away. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. It's been fun. Hey mama, if you want more of the Modern Mommy Doc podcast, make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag Modern Mommy Doc. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.